Well, good morning, Libby Christian Church. It is my pleasure and privilege to be here with you today. Uh, I, that introduction makes me feel much better about myself in a lot of ways. But I want to I set the theme for us a little bit this morning, because as we begin, I would invite you to imagine it's just you and Jesus having a cup of coffee. Now, if you're Phil, you got to have tea, so we're going to allow for non-coffee drinkers, and maybe Jesus drinks tea or he turns water into wine. He's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. But we want this to be this personal space where we imagine that we're sitting with Jesus and we get to answer or ask this question and get some answers. Jesus, why am I the way I am? Now, there's a risk, as Phil has already alluded to, we want to know why everybody else is broken and messed up, and the answer is because they're the same as us. We're all broken and messed up in some fashion. But the tendency, in my experience, at least in the church world, is we say, Jesus, why am I the way I am? And we hear shame and condemnation and ugliness. Well, let's just look to Romans 8 very quickly without looking it up, is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. So whatever Jesus is going to say to us, it's not going to be you're worthless or I'm ashamed of you or I'm embarrassed. In fact, the tenderness of Christ is so intimate and so precious. What if he, we're asking, he gets up from his chair, and he just walks around, even if you're not a hugger, and Jesus just says, let me hold you for a minute, and we're safe, and we're secure, and we begin to hear afresh, maybe not for the first time, but afresh, Jesus saying, I love you, but inside, we are you with Jesus, don't we? Well, Jesus, I know you love me, but you know I'm really jacked up. And he goes, yeah, but I still love you. So let's begin to unpack this a little bit this morning with Jesus. And the question being, as we begin, is why am I the way I am? And we have a whole list of reasons why we are, at least currently, the way we are. One that I neglected to get on the slides because I'm not a techie person is at the very top it should say our sin nature. Adam and Eve chose themselves. They chose selfishness in the garden. They rejected God. And so then all of humanity was damaged at that point. So very baseline, why am I the way I am? Because I have a sin nature. And I don't know about yours, but my sin nature is tenacious. It keeps trying to come back again and again and take control of me. And so, for the most part, we tend to understand that. And I do want to take a real quick side trail for a minute here. Why am I the way I am is not all a negative thing. Why am I the way I am is because God has given each of us 100% gifts and calling and skills. And some of that, church, we ought to celebrate. We look at Ray and the team up here, and we go, how, how do they sing like that? Because I don't have that gift. I'm going to make a joyful noise, but it's going to be a noise. They're never going to invite me to take Ray's place on this stage because it's not my gifts and calling. So why am I the way I am? There, there's a little bit of space here to go. There's some good, and we can celebrate that in spite of our sin nature. But second, why am I the way I am is because we were born into a certain family, Phil and I have a lot of fun talking about our family of origin because we see it from different perspectives, and for the most part, neither one's right or wrong. 
It was just our experience. And if you were sitting, if you have siblings, sometimes that's more fun than others, and you were visiting about your family of origin, you would have different stories and different memories. And some very probably rare people in this room would say, man, my family was phenomenally encouraging. They were affirming. It was a safe environment. Hallelujah. But in my experience, those are kind of rare circumstances. And maybe you go, well, my family wasn't mean or abusive. They were just maybe just flat, pretty emotionally unavailable, but overall good people. Well, that's okay too. But some in this situation we find ourselves in this morning, family wasn't good. It was hurtful. It was distracting. It was wounding. And when we say, Jesus, why am I the way I am? He would say, because some of these things left a mark on your lives. Now, before we're done this morning, I hope to get to a point where it's not why am I the way I am, is why might I be different in the future? Because this is a point in time, and good news is it's not the only point in time. So why am I the way I am? Our choices and our beliefs. If we continue to make wise, God-informed decisions, it keeps moving us in healthy paths. But if we make poor, ill-informed decisions, it moves us into unhealthy places, and those become patterns or ruts. And since I'm the alleged mental health expert, that creates a neuronal rut. Now, if you want to have some fun, use the phrase neuronal rut at lunch today, and people will either go, did you hear that on the radio, or, or what it is? But it simply just means there's a rut in our brain because of a way we've chosen again and again and again. Let's illustrate this morning. Put your hands together. This isn't a deep psychological thing, so don't overthink it. So whatever thumb is on top, weave them together the opposite way. Did anybody kind of get a shiver when you did that? Uh, because they go, ooh, that's weird. I do this 100 times a day in my office so I can do it without thinking about it. But there's a pattern there that I've done this all my life. My right thumb's going to always be on top. I'm sure there's some deep meaning to that. I really don't care. Some of you, your left hand. It doesn't matter, but we've made that choice again and again and again. Well, if we made that choice to do it differently again and again and again, it would feel more comfortable and it would create a new neuronal rut. And we wouldn't cringe when we do that. Trauma and drama. And within our stories, and we tend to disqualify, well, my trauma and drama isn't as big as their trauma and drama. Okay, well, that may be worth celebrating, but it's still trauma and drama. Why am I the way I am? Because I experience traumatic things, and there's still drama in our lives to this day. It shapes the way we think and the way we experience the world around us. Now we get to talk about some fancy words, so I feel like my master's degree was well-earned. But the fancy word here is epigenetics. And epigenetics, the really simple way to understand that is the choices our parents made before we were born affects the DNA that we inherit. And I don't have time this morning, and most of us really don't care, but what that suggests from a research standpoint, like if my parents drank heavily, Thank you, Jesus, they didn't. They had their own issues. My dad will never watch this video. And mom's with Jesus, okay? So had my mom drank heavily, it would have coded differently on my DNA. And what the research tells us, I would have been somewhere around 20 times higher risk of abusing alcohol in my life because it changed my DNA coding. 
Now, that is also true for me as I make day-in, day-out choices. Those choices change the DNA expression in my life. And I'll give you a very simple example of this, is if I had a steady diet of Snickers bars, it would begin to code my DNA differently, and I would be at increasing risk for diabetes. That would be a lifestyle choice that changes my DNA. And then if I were still having children, it would be passed on to them. Does that make sense? Is it changes some dramatic things. And then the last one we're going to talk about in this area is the reticular cortex. And I intended to have a really cool graphic for you this morning, but I brought the wrong iPad and it's okay. God's bigger than the wrong iPad. But in the very center of our brain, there's an area about the size of our index finger called the reticular cortex or the reticular activating system. Now, I'm a simple guy that, you know, had the blessing of getting some more education, but the reticular cortex simply means our brain notices what we've trained it to notice. I'm a Kansas boy through and through. I love it. If you don't like Kansas, that's okay. Don't live there. But I can drive down the road, much like Montanans, and I see deer or big game before other people do if they're not trained to do that. Now, I didn't go to a class. My dad didn't say, now, son, we're going to look for deer. I just rode with him and he go, there's a deer, there's a deer, there's a turkey, blah, 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 all of those kinds of things. So that reticular cortex in the center of my brain is pre-programmed to notice deer because if you don't notice them, what happens? Hunting with a vehicle is a very expensive way to hunt. And I've been a Kansan all my life. Two weeks ago, coming home from deer hunting, the irony of this is 6.30 in the evening, me and my hunting buddy Jim, we're just driving along, not fast, and all of a sudden Jim goes, ah, and a deer jumps out of the ditch and runs into the side of my truck. I thought that was very rude of him. (laughs) Now, true story, I hadn't filled my tag yet, so we stopped hoping to harvest that deer. I don't know where he went, and he was a nice buck, but he's just gone. So now when I drive that section of road, which I did the other day, my reticular cortex is firing. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. So our reticular cortex notices both positively and negatively what we've trained it to notice. So why am I the way I am? Because I have a reticular cortex and it's programmed. Good news, church, we can reprogram it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want the Holy Spirit to help me forget to watch for deer because that gets expensive right? But if my reticular cortex is programmed to not trust people, that's unhealthy to a certain extent. Now, do I trust everybody right out of the gate? No, because that's not always a wise thing to do. Would you agree? Just check and see if you're awake this morning. So all of these things shape us. If we're having coffee with Jesus, he would say, you're the way you are because of these things. And then we might say, well, Jesus, what now? Why we are the way we are can be mildly depressing. But this what now question becomes kind of exciting because Jesus wants us to know the wholeness and fullness of life. That in part was his whole mission, was to come to set the captives free, proclaim sight for the blind. Who's blind and captive? Every one of us in some fashion. So Jesus would say, because he is the author of Scripture through humans, hey, let's look at my word. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Governed is an interesting word. 
to me. Governed implies intentionality, purposefulness, structure, and an outcome in mind. So the mind governed. Now again, I'm supposed to be the mental health expert. How do we govern our minds? This really isn't necessarily that complex, but it is important that we do this with a constancy of effort. Now, I don't know whether Libby has like a rec center. We have a rec center in our community where you can go and get on the treadmill and all those kinds of things. And this first couple of weeks of January, the parking lot is full because, you know, we made New Year's resolutions or all those kinds of things. Let's check in about six weeks. What do you think we'll find? The parking lot is less and less full. And so this sense of our minds being governed, governed means we begin to modify our reticular cortex and then our reticular cortex reminds us to do the things that we value. I used to use the word consistent a lot, but the tragedy of consistent is once a year is consistent. If I tell my wife once a year, baby, I love you, she's probably glad to hear that, but might it be more meaningful if on a sustained basis I tell her, baby, I love you? Do you think that makes a bigger difference when it's a sustained effort? Well, this rewiring or being governed by the Spirit allows us to think and operate differently, and we begin to dismantle the woundedness in us. In Ephesians 4.26, you're potentially familiar with this, it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. That's the Rick paraphrase. This is not an invitation to stay up all night fighting with your spouse, okay? That is an unhealthy pattern. But when we're in a rage state, we tend to do things that sound a little like this. I will never trust again. Whatever comes after never is risky. So then in this space where we're going, Jesus, what now? Might he invite us to say, let's begin to dismantle some of those vows and agreements that are currently holding you hostage. Now, one of the fallacies that therapists get labeled with all the time, people sit down in my office, you never lay down on the couch, it's not like the movies, and they go, so do we have to talk about my childhood? No, we don't. Now, on occasions, do we talk about childhood because we're trying to understand where some of those wounds originated? Yes, but we're not trying to blame anybody because there's no value in that but we're trying to then govern our minds, which work in phenomenal ways. So what does that mean? Let's get a little more psychological, neurological here. Neurons that fire together, wire together. So imagine you're walking through your yard and all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you see what your mind believes is a snake. Now some of you are like, cool, a snake, I'll play with a snake. Y'all are mental, okay? But for most of us, out of the corner of our eye, if we see a snake, our mind is pre-programmed to do what? Run or jump about that far or, you know, I'm white, so I only jump about this far and I try and get away from the snake because all of that, those neurons in my brain have wired together to indicate that a snake is bad news. If Dalton Allspaw, our dad, was standing up here this morning, he would say, the only snake is a dead snake. And maybe you agree with that, and some of you go, well, bull snakes are really good because they eat rats. I get it, but I'm not smart enough to figure out whether that's a bull snake or a kill me snake, and so my mind really doesn't care. 
So neurons that fire together wire together. So why are we the way we are right now? Because those neurons have fired all of our lives. I am currently, I believe, 56 years old. And you might go, my, you look like a youthful 56. Or gosh, 56 years has been hard on you. Well, should the Lord tarry and give me more years, I can fire different neurons in a way that wires them together differently and the things that currently wreck me won't in the future. Isn't that good news? If we were shouting church, that'd be hallelujah, but I know it's early and shouting isn't good this early in the morning. So we rewire those neurons and then we come to this question. We're back to Jesus. Jesus, dude, how do I keep moving forward? And we don't need to make this a very complex thing is Jesus would in some fashion say, lean into me more, do the work up here, and then forward is a natural outcome that brings greater and greater freedom. Anybody want to get free? Because if you don't, meet me and Liz over here at the end. Because if we don't want to get free, we won't. Jesus will not violate our free will. Do you ever want Jesus to violate somebody else's free will? Lord, get them. But if that's true, somebody else is praying that same thing for us. Lord, get them. Well, what if we just sit down for coffee with Jesus and go, Jesus, get me. Get me out of my way. Get this rewired in some really powerful ways. Romans 12, 2, we always want to go to Scripture first. It's the baseline. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renewing implies an ongoing expectation, pursuit, eagerness, hunger that change happens between our ears because that's where most of our beliefs and woundedness live. Do you suppose, this is a bit of a bunny trail for a minute, that God really ought to sue the world around us for copyright infringement? Because everything that psychology and neurology is teaching us originated in Scripture. But psychologists and neurologists and book writers are stealing God's material. They're plagiarizing God's material and putting their names on it. I'll give you a very quick example. Maybe you hear this. I know it's Libby. Several years ago, I said hot mess up here. And Phil came to me after. He goes, you know, we don't use the phrase hot mess up here. So hot mess just means jacked up. And we all are. Okay? But here's an example. Do you ever hear somebody say, you know, karma is rough or some version of that? Well, it's actually Galatians 5. We reap what we sow. So we reap what we sow in our head. That's not karma uh, in spite of what our Buddhist friends would tell us. It's God's plan and design. So what I sow in my thoughts and my mind, I begin to reap more and more of that. If I'm anxious, now there are medical conditions, let me be clear on that, there are medical conditions that create anxiety and depression. That is a very real thing. And in the church, we're a little uncomfortable with that. Well, you just need to pray more. Well, if you're diabetic, praying more, you will still die. Do we agree on that? So if there's medication that can help with diabetes or depression or anxiety, by all means, we need to take advantage of that and do the work up here. So sometimes it's a little less medication down the road as our mind changes, and sometimes it's not. 
Because depression, if I have an absence of serotonin in my brain, which regulates my mood and affect, and medication helps regulate that in a healthier fashion, by golly, I'm going to take medication the rest of my life. Will I be annoyed? Yes. Because it's annoying to have to take medication. Truth? I have a reminder on my phone every night at 8.30, take your vitamins. Then you might go, are you not sharp enough to remember to take your vitamins? Apparently not. So I let my phone remind me every night, and it's annoying. Why do I have to take vitamins? Because I want to live a long time for God's glory. And the vitamins I'm taking right now may not make much difference until I'm 80. That's my own theory. You're free to have a different opinion on this. But the renewing of our minds, so let's begin to just make this practical. If you were at South Rock, where I have the privilege of, of ministering, I am one of the pastors in South Rock. It's a lot of fun to not have Phil's job. I am so excited and thrilled that Phil is called to do what Phil does, and you bless him, and he blesses you. 20 years this dude has been walking alongside all of you and you along him. Hallelujah. In a, yeah. <laughs> honor where honor is due, not so that his chest puffs up more, because that's not the case. But in, at South Rock, I get to preach three or four times a year, which is awesome, because I can say all this crazy stuff, and then Andy, our lead pastor, gets to clean up the mess afterwards. So Phil will clean up the mess with some of this. But if I was at South Rock, these would be bottom line statements. And forgive me, I'm going to get a drink here. If we're going to renew our minds neurologically, spiritually, could we please pause and acknowledge that everything that has come up to this point impacts us? Everything, positive, negative, neutral, all of that has a huge impact on us. And as we acknowledge that, might it be valuable to seek help where it's needed? Phil makes me sound like rock counseling is a bigger deal than I think it is because I live it every day. We just added our fifth therapist, which is super cool, and someday there'll be eight or nine, and the hope is whatever phone call comes, we've got somebody on the team that is skilled and gifted to lean into that. We get calls every day, hey, do you see little kids? No. You, would you join me in praying that we find a play therapist that loves Jesus? But those folks are rarer than hen's teeth these days for all kinds of reasons. But this sense of reaching out for help. Wow. Peter walks on the water. We don't know, five steps, ten steps, whatever it was. He sees the wind and the waves, and typical male, he would have just drowned. But he pauses and goes, Jesus, help! Lord, save me! How many of us, you don't have to show hands this morning, how many of us might be drowning just a little bit or a lot, but we're too scared or too prideful to ask for help? It's pretty common, particularly in the body of Christ, because one of the umbrellas over the body of Christ much too much of the time is shame. We look around this room, I, I sort of wish I could do this, is give everybody in this room truth serum. Anybody's heart rate just go up? And what we're going to do with our truth serum is we're all going to acknowledge none of us have it figured out. All of us have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, CR. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that are holding us hostage. But until we acknowledge them, we remain hostage. Hostage doesn't sound too racy, does it? 
We're not gonna wish somebody birthday wish, hey, I hope you get held hostage this year because it's ugly. But until we acknowledge that the past might in fact hold us hostage and seek help, we just remain hostage and our mind remains trapped. Those neuronal ruts continue to just be ugly and dark. And then so second, might we embrace God's love for us just as we are? Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody and their posture is, I need to get my act together before I come to Jesus? You know, I got to quit cussing and smoking and, you know, whatever all those things are. Where does Jesus love us? Right where we are in all of our crazy. And I know it's a little uncomfortable. My wife always says, dude, don't call us crazy. We're all crazy. A hundred percent. We just have different crazy right? And some of it really is ugly. And it's a belief system that was laid down maybe in childhood. I'll give you an example. For some, this is hurtful. Why can't you be more like your, why are you so much like them? Now, if it's encouraging, I love this about you, that brings freedom. But many of us, if not most, have had ugly things said to us and about us. And if it's still there defining us, we're hostage. And then we disqualify ourselves for the love of God and our reticular cortex, gang, just reinforces that. I'm, I'm not worthy of God's love. It's not about us being worthy. That's why it's God's love. Hey, God, I'm gonna get my act together. Jesus, we're having coffee this morning. Jesus, I'm gonna get my act together. He said, eh, don't bother well, why not, Jesus? You know, you're holy and I'm not. He says, exactly. But I make you holy. If you were to turn to your neighbor this morning, you want to try this? You ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus makes me holy. Now, some of you are probably a little uncomfortable with that because you're like, well, you know, I know intellectually that I'm holy, but in here I don't feel holy. Hallelujah, gang, our feelings are not truth. This is a bit of a soapbox for me because my daughter's generation, she's 24, she's training to be a therapist, gonna join me at the counseling center in a year. I'm so excited for her to be on board, but her generation, everything's a feeling. I feel like this is a table and I am ruthless to her. Grace is her name. Grace, is, is that you feel like that's a table? No, dad, it's a table. And then I caught her about, well, a couple months ago doing this to one of her friends. She lives in our home because it's free for her. And uh, one of her friends was over and they're in the kitchen and her friend Emily says, well, I feel, and whatever, I don't even remember what it was, the feel statement. And Grace goes, Emily, is that really a feeling? I did the happy dance in the living room because she's changing her reticular cortex and the neuronal patterns, and she's now believing that feelings are simply a data point. We need feelings, good, bad, and ugly, but they do not define reality. And do we live in a world where feelings are everything? <coughs> it makes me wanna throw up. And it probably does most of us, particularly in the land of social media. And I can tell you how to lower your anxiety. For those of you who are on social media, get off of social media. Because what the research tells us, and yeah, we can get a hallelujah for that. Now, I don't really want to give up Facebook Marketplace because I found some really cool backpacking gear. 
but it's a double-edged sword. But what it tells us, this is a freebie for today, is the steady diet of social media heightens our internal anxiety, which produces cortisol in our bloodstream. Cortisol is an inflammatory neurochemical. It puts you at heightened risk for Alzheimer's, dementia, and arthritis. So we now have warning labels on cigarettes and a number of things like that. What if there was a disclaimer on social media? Warning. The consumption of social media puts you at greater risk for Alzheimer's, dementia, and arthritis. How many people would keep clicking? Might I suggest almost everybody? Because we think, ah, it's not going to happen to me. It's not that big of a deal. But just the simple act of pulling away from that gives us more mental space. And our reticular cortex is less and less programmed to care about what someone had for supper which is my experience with Instagram. You know, I, t I had supper today, here's a picture. Who cares? But apparently as a culture, we care, right? So this embracing God's love means we quit worrying about likes and follows on social media. And I know for many of you in the room, you go, I don't even know what that is. Phil and Ray are talking about the app. We have the same kind of app at South Rock and you know, it's a helpful tool. But if you're not a techie, it's annoying. Our dad, he's 83. I'm not getting that stupid app. But last week sitting in church, I watched him open it up. And he's following along on the sermon with the app. Now, every part of me wanted to give him a little bit of grief about that. Hey, you're using the stupid app you weren't going to get, but I bit my tongue suggesting that my reticular cortex is healthier than it once was because my reticular cortex once would have said, make fun of dad. There's change there. Good news, right? Okay, uh, number three, seek with God's power working in you to grow who he designed you to be. If you heard nothing else today, this is the most important thing, is seek God's power because on our own power, what do we do? We fail. I read an article in Consumer Reports a couple years ago, fact check it, I haven't, but the average piece of exercise equipment for your home is used seven times, which is why you can buy a treadmill at a garage sale for 50 bucks. Because as a culture, we like starting, but we're not good at sustaining because we don't do it with God's power. So if we're gonna change the way we think, the way we believe, the way we feel and experience the world around us, it has to be with God's power. And then how do we do that? Daily walking with God and do the work to bring wholeness to your mind until you meet Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to bring freedom and life to the full. For most of us, that's gonna begin and end here. Now our heart gets to come along for the ride. But the risk is our heart, we become the parable of the sower, that some seed was planted in the, the gravelly soil, gravelly I know is not good grammar, but it grew up for a minute and then it disappeared. What Jesus wants to do in us is so transform the way we think and believe. Cortisol goes down in our bloodstream, good news. Our anxiety goes down and everything that goes along with it, we just go, <sighs> and then when we say to Jesus, coffee, Jesus, why am I the way I am? I think Jesus is playful. So let's ask Jesus that question in five years. Wouldn't that be fun if we had a time machine and we'll all just jump forward five years? Now, some of you might be going, I hope I'm not here in five years. That's okay. 
the five years from now, and we ask the same question. Jesus, why am I the way I am? What if he said, well, something that weird bald guy from Kansas said five years ago got in your head, you begin to lean into me in a sustained fashion, and you and I working together is there is way less pain and noise and heartache in your head, and you can do this. I think Jesus would have some fun with that. But if all we do is hear and we don't act, we don't get any hope. We stay stuck. Why am I the way I am? Because we've made choices that have led us to this point. Why am, the way, why am I the way I am five years from now? Because we can make different choices. I'm still going to jump at a snake on the ground because I don't like snakes. But I can experience the freedom of Christ head and heart when I begin to believe truth and it rewires those neurons in my brain and the same thing is true for you. I dare you. Because that's what Jesus is about, is freedom and life here and here. I'll check with you in five years.